I'm sitting there, Paul, with my <laughs> cup of coffee, <laughs> and I look at the coffee, and it's shaking. And I thought I better put that down. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to At WCSU, the podcast that tells you everything about Western Connecticut State University on campus and off. Today, we're going to go off. We're bringing you the former governor of Connecticut, Jody Rell. She's a Brookfield person. She went to WestCon. She's a friend of the university. And she came in here on the day that the New York governor was sworn in, Kathy Hochul, the first woman to be governor of New York, taking office after being lieutenant governor, taking over for a disgraced former governor who had to resign. That's just what happened to Jody Rell, too. So she's going to talk about that and her experience as governor and what she thinks now. That sounds okay, right, Pete? Oh, yeah. It was a very interesting uh, conversation yeah actually. really interesting i mean i obviously i remember her being governor and i remember the whole scandal and everything but i never knew much about her i didn't yeah read about her i wasn't following politics really at the time so this was it was really cool mm-hmm. she really gave some insight on what it is really like to be governor kathy hoka would be uh would be a good idea for her to listen to this podcast and pick up some tips we'll yeah. send it to her sure all right so here is Governor Jody Rell. Well, Governor Jody Rell, thank you so much for joining us today. You're our most famous and uh, distinguished guest we've ever had. Oh, aren't you nice? Thank you. <laughs> I'm just one of your former students and um, also just a local girl who lives in Brookfield. So <laughs> Now you are, yes. Um. <laughs> the... It's an auspicious day, I think, because uh, a nice coincidence, because in New York, just over the line, Kathy Hochul just became uh, the new governor of New York. She took over for Andrew Cuomo, who had resigned in disgrace, although he doesn't always admit that. How do you feel today? I mean, the same kind of thing happened to you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it it does. It does. Um, Let me give you a little background on that. Of course, you all know the history. John Rowland was the governor. I was lieutenant governor. And uh, Governor Rowland resigned, and I became governor. And then fast forward a little bit, and I filled out that term and then eventually ran in my own right and won a four-year term. So let me back up, though, and tell you that when he decided to resign— I will say that the preface to that was just like what happened to Cuomo. Mm -hmm. There is denial. I'm not going to resign. I don't care what the conditions are. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm okay. I'm not resigning. And like Cuomo, there was a threat, if you will, of um, impeachment. And I remember going into his office and saying, you know, Governor, they really are very close to having the votes for impeachment. And I think his look said it all, like, you've got to be kidding me. It can't be happening. And between me and probably his wife and a few other people, I think he's finally got the message. But what happened was he called my house on, it was actually Father's Day, because I'm sorry, my throat's, I can already feel it. Um, But that's okay. I um, was at At home, it was Father's Day. My son was there because he came down to visit his dad. And um, the phone rings, and he says, hi, hi. Yeah, she's right here. 
hello, yeah, hold on a minute, I'll get her. In the meantime, every person does this. They go, who's on the phone? Who are you talking to? And he looks at me and he says, it's the governor. And I said, okay. So I take the phone and he said, uh, hey, I'm having a meeting at the residence the next morning, tomorrow morning, uh, 9 o'clock. Can you be there? And I said, yeah, I'll be there. Nothing else, mm. no indication, nothing. And people often ask me if I really thought he was going to resign. Um, not really, because he kept saying, no, I'm not resigning. But at the same time, you know, everything was sort of closing in. And uh, so I go up to the meeting the next morning at uh, 9 o'clock at the residence. Very carefully, we sit down in the, um, what they call the sunroom. He offers me coffee. And I said, thank you, I'll take some. And he said, uh, Patty and I talked about this last night, and I've decided to pull the plug. Hmm. I'm sitting there, Paul, with my <laughs> cup of coffee, <laughs> and I look at the coffee, and it's shaking. And I thought, I better put that down. <laughs> and he said, as we're sitting here talking, my chief of staff is talking to your chief of staff, hmm. and we're making the plans for an easy transition. Uh, it will be effective July 1st. And uh, I said, Okay. And I left, and, um, you know, everything just goes crazy immediately. And uh, one of the things I will say is that I had gone to a lieutenant governor's conference with um, the president of that at the time was Ronnie Musgrove, who was the lieutenant governor in Mississippi. And he said to all of us, you never know when the governor unexpectedly resigns or is in an accident, which is what happened to him with his mm. governor. Mm. And he had put together a little booklet, which I kept, which I thought was kind of interesting that I kept it. But it was um, it was the do's and don'ts. You, you need to have somebody swear you in. Uh, don't fire everybody the first day just because you think you're now in charge. People are scared. They're scared for their jobs. And a lot of these people have done good good work. So be careful in what you do. And think about it for a minute. When you get elected to office, generally, you're elected in November, and you have from November until January to plan um, getting sworn in, um, having a ball, if you are so inclined. Mm -hmm. And what I thought Connecticut needed from the resignation of former Governor Rowland was that they really needed some type, some type of pomp and circumstance, but they didn't need this full-fledged, you know, everything. And so we kept it very low-key and had um, no swearing in outside um, on the hottest day of the year, July 1st. <laughs> and um, I can remember I'm all dressed in a suit, and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I just want to take this jacket off. But my poor husband felt the same way, trust yeah. me. But um, you wanted to keep it low-key, but you wanted people to see you, which we you just mentioned um, the lieutenant governor being sworn in in, in uh, New York. Governor Cuomo decided to resign at midnight. So it was kind of not only low-key, but mm -hmm. it was very almost non-existent. And all she had was basically someone taking a picture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a shame. The people need to see it. They want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. so. Now, uh, did you have two weeks, too, then, until you're, from the time he told you, Governor Rowland told you, until the uh, swearing-in? Ten days. Ten days. <laughs> and so you have to pick—and this was, again, in, in um, Governor Musco's um, 
handbook, if you mm -hmm. will. He said, you know, think in advance and make a note somewhere. You know, who's going to swear you in? Who's Where are you going to have the swearing in? Uh, what type of function are you going to have afterward? Who's your chief of staff going to be? You know, things that you kind of plan for. And in 10 days, that's pretty hard to do, trust me. I mean, yeah, it was... Um, it was difficult, but we were able to do it. I will say a couple funny things. First, we had a friend that had a house in West Hartford, and we called her up and said, can we borrow your house? And she said, okay, what's going on? And we said, we just need a place that's private where we can be by ourselves and start making our list. This is my chief of staff and me. And so we borrowed her house, and then as uh, – as the morning progressed, I suddenly realized that I had not called my husband. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just so busy. And so I called him and I said, honey, do not answer the door. Do not answer the phone. Don't do anything. I will call you. He said, too late. He, <laughs> he said, the press is in the front yard. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. And I said, well, say hello and tell him you'll talk to him later. And he did. And um, But that's how fast news travels. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was within an hour. Wow. So, um, but things started to progress and then we got moving. And I think the hardest part for me was trying to write a speech that summed up what the public needed to hear. Usually you want to say what you have to say so that you can get it out of and say, look, I'm going to be this and I'm going to do that. And these are the things, but this wasn't the kind of speech that the public needed. Mm -hmm. They wanted reassurance and, uh, and I say that because not only did the governor resign, we had mayors, Bridgeport, mm -hmm. Waterbury, other places where top officials had done things wrong. Yeah, they and were on their way to jail or they were in jail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the public needed reassurance that we were going to um, change the mindset, if you will, of Connecticut. And so in my speech, I said, you know, this is what we're that it's a new focus, and I don't have a copy of the speech with me, but I thought it was one of my better speeches <laughs> because it was a reassurance. It was, I'm in charge. Things are going to be different. I'm not going to um, do anything to embarrass you, although I didn't say it quite like that. Mm -hmm. It was, the new kid in town is here. Uh, I often joke that, and I don't mean to diminish my role in any way, that I was the mother that the state needed. Mm -hmm. You know, mom comes in and takes care of things. She says, okay, guys, calm down. This is what I'm going to do, and this is how we're going to handle it. And the public appreciated that, and uh, I think it was well-received. I agree with you. I was reading some stories back from the day and uh, in that era, and uh, Democrats kept saying, why does everybody like her so much? What are, you know, How are we going to fix this or fight this? And I think that's what pe people felt reassured. Right. And, and it was important. Um, again, I, I know that one of the things we did was uh, right after the swearing in uh, over the next week or so, we had many meet and greets this new person. Who's this new governor? Because you don't know who the lieutenant. I mean, mm -hmm. I could ask you, who's the lieutenant governor? And people, you know, mm -hmm. some people know, people who are informed, but most people don't. We're just kind of the figurehead, if you will, sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was important. And we had a lot of people who actually – Come would come to these, um, you know, meet and greets. And it would, I have to tell you, one was really kind of funny. And I'm standing, We basically people came in, I shook hands with them. They, um, we had a picture taken and they were able to get the picture. 
And after a long day of doing this, it was actually the first one we did at the state capitol. And I'm a woman who gets tired in high heels, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. And I kicked my shoes off because no one's going to see my feet, right? And this lady's shaking my hand, and she said, I knew I was going to like you right from the beginning because <laughs> you're just one of us. Uh -huh. But I always remember that because it's the everyday person that the public wanted. You were really in a great per position to take over, although it's always struck me that, you know, lieutenant governor, you're busy, you're doing a lot of things, but it is a different job than being governor, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I have, again, there are several things, you know, when you become governor, obviously there's, um, well, you have all of the commissioners. And uh, many of them I, of course, knew. Well, I knew all of them, but I knew who they were, and I knew their background because I was part of the, you know, not the vetting so much, but when governor would appoint someone to be commissioner of motor vehicle, let's say, I knew who that person was. I knew what kind of person it was. Uh, eventually, I asked everyone to submit a letter of resignation. I think that's protocol. Mm -hmm. And then I kept most of them. A few, I think, we changed uh, and some we just actually moved them to a different agency where I thought they'd be better served. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was trying. Um, I will say there are some funny things that happen. There are some crazy things that you look back on. You thought, how do we ever get through something like that? Of course, the biggest thing we'd already passed a budget, mm -hmm. so that wasn't a problem. But you were facing the next year. And you're looking at not only a budget, but you're looking at bonding. Mm -hmm. Who's going to get the money for a new building at, let's say, Westcott? Mm -hmm. Who's getting money for a new train station? Who's getting money for this? And the requests actually always far outweigh the money that you have. Mm -hmm. So you're faced immediately with, uh, not immediately, pretty soon in your tenure with uh, Money Asks. And then you do have to put together a budget during your tenure, um, which was a very difficult year, I remember. Every year is a difficult year yeah. for trying to put together a budget. And you have to remember, too, um, even though the governor puts together a budget, the legislature actually ultimately finesses it to the point of where you're going to where they want their priorities to be. Mm -hmm. I happen to be a Republican. The Democrats controlled the legislature. Mm -hmm. So I knew I was going to be facing some issues that way. But we were able to eventually come to an agreement. Um, and I say that kindly because I had been a former legislator before I became lieutenant governor. And a lot of the people that I served with in the legislature were still there. Mm -hmm. And they knew me. They knew my reputation. Um, I don't give my word easily, but when I do, they trust me because they know I'll keep it. And so we worked um, some behind the scenes, some publicly with, um, you know, with the legislative leaders on crafting a budget. That was probably the, not the hardest, but it was, it was one of the most difficult things to, to do right away because you're still planning for the next round of money, if you will. And, of course, then you're looking at where's the money coming from? Are we, in fact, recouping some of the dollars that we thought we were going to get and it wasn't coming in? Mm -hmm. So you can't – and I'm a big proponent of saying we're not going to spend what we don't have. Um, 
which happens all the time, trust mm. me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, th- I often think about people with credit cards. They know the bill's coming in at the end of the month, yep. but they don't care, and mm. they keep spending it. And you wonder why you never get caught up. You never get ahead. And so that was part of the, the issue. But in addition to that, you have everyday bills. I mean, what I call everyday bills. Right. Um, things that legislators are important to them, and they want to get it passed as soon as possible. And I, the one example I can give you, it was a, um, I don't know the details of the bill, but it had to do with um, drugs and apprehension and jail time. And the way the bill was written, I couldn't support it. Now, I remind you that we have a, a team of, legislator, of uh, lawyers in the governor's office. They read the bills but I also read the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's good practice from being a legislator that you also need to read the bills so you know what's, what you're passing or mm-hmm. what you're going to not pass. And on this particular one, I had trouble with it because of the way it was written. And I went to the sponsor who happened to be a young man from uh, New Haven, and I said to him, Bill, if this bill passes, I am not going to sign it. I will veto it. Oh, Governor, you can't do that. We work so hard on this bill. What's your problem with this bill? So I told him. I said, these are the things that we find objectionable. I think that you need to rewrite it if you can. Now we're winding down in the session the next year. You can't, you know, Mm. you can't always write a bill that fast and get it perfect. And uh, I said, Bill, I'll tell you the truth here. If you can't fix it, we will take this summer and we'll work on it together my office and you, and we'll try to come up with a compromise that we can... I know you don't want to wait that long, but I promise you that I will work with you on this. Again, I had served with him in the legislature. Mm -hmm. And, Paul, those things make a difference. Um, I often think about Governor Malloy coming in. Mm -hmm. He had none of that. Yes, he was the mayor of Stanford, but he didn't understand the legislative process. He didn't have the friends, Mm -hmm. if you will, in the legislature. And it made a difference. So Bill agreed with me. Uh, we postponed it, but we eventually passed a bill that he could live with. Right. That's a great story of the whole process, yeah. uh, how it should work, right? How it should work. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how it should work, too. One of the other bills that, um, that I'm proud of, but um, a lot of people weren't sure it was ever going to pass, is campaign finance reform. Mm-hmm. This had been something that the legislature had talked about since way before I was a legislator. And what campaign finance reform meant to many people was um, public money helping candidates run for office. And you know the picture. You know, on this side, you've got people saying, I don't want my tax money going to help a candidate run for office. On this side, you have people saying, yes, but if we give them public money, they don't have to spend all their time out there campaigning asking for money, and getting special interest to contribute to them, mm-hmm. i.e. lobbyists, et cetera. And so um, we talked about it, uh, say, for 20 years. <laughs> and many people thought, eh, I just don't think this is the year for it. I'm not sure it's going to pass. Well, as my time as governor, um, I said to both the Republicans and the Democrat leadership, I am willing to pass campaign finance reform if we can come into an agreement on a dollar amount, but people still have to raise money on their own. Um, Are you agreeable? My own party, Republican, said, no, we don't want campaign finance. We don't want 
we don't want public money being used to help mm-hmm. fund candidates. The Democrats said, sure, this would be great. It'll help us out. But I'll be honest with you, it was a lot of talk on their side mm. because they were used to getting, and, I, and I'm not saying there was anything wrong with it or mm-hmm. anything illegal about it, but they were used to getting that campaign contribution from unions, from lobbyists, from sure. others. And so it was, is this going to be enough for us to run in for office? Are we going to be able to really make a difference? I'm not really sure. So eventually we write a bill. I thought it was a pretty good bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually excluded lobbyists. That you could not have lobbyist contributions. I was told that that was illegal. You were, but you could set a cap, which mm-hmm. we did. Long story short, I called their bluff. I said, "I'm willing to sign this bill. Now go pass it." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, oh gosh! Now what do we do?" And so um, we did. We we passed the bill. There is a it's changed since I was in office, but there's a threshold where you have to raise a certain amount of money in small contributions, right. mm-hmm. and then the state will give you a certain amount of money to go to that. What has it done? It's helped candidates not have to be begging for money, number one. And number two, it's really opened up the floodgates, if you will, for more people to run. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are someone who's, you know, I'll take my own life as an example. I had, you know, I served on the PTA. I did this. I did that. But I had never run for office. Now i got to go raise money. But now you're saying if you only raise this amount, we'll help you. Mm-hmm. So more women especially are saying, hey, this is a chance for me to run for public office. So in the long run, both Republicans and Democrats benefited from the bill. And frankly, I think Republicans benefited more, even Mm. though they were the ones that objected, because they had more candidates than Mm -hmm. they ever had before. So it was a good bill. I'm proud of it. Yeah. That's an excellent point, too. You do see more women running for office all around the country, really, but especially here. And, of course, Kathy Hochul is the first female governor. Uh, How did you feel as the second female governor in Connecticut uh, in this uh, kind of political um, arena, which is, you know, politics is a blood sport. It's very difficult. You have to have a thick skin. Mm. Um, and there are times you don't. I mean, there are just times you just want to curl up and say, oh, please just leave me alone. Stop with the <laughs> nitpicking already. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is that I didn't feel that way in Connecticut. I had served, as I said before, as a legislator. There were no um, barriers Women held positions of importance. I, you know, we had a woman who was chair of the Transportation Committee who used to be, I mean, who, it was always a man's job. Transportation, mm. cars, trains, <laughs> automobile, come on. Um, men handle that. Mm-hmm. But here we had a woman who was the, the chairman of that committee. Finance, the people who set the bonding bill, you know, where does that money go? How do we build, uh, you know, an addition to a campus? What do we do? She was in charge of that. So I didn't know any difference. I figured if they they could do it, I could do Mm -hmm. it. Um, Being a woman in office as governor, I believe strongly that I was always treated with respect. But I also knew that there were times when people thought, hmm. And I suppose, you know, some men, you know, they kind mm-hmm. of stand back and it's like, let's just see how far we can push her. Um, that my chief of staff used to tell people who would come in to visit me in the office, 
She said, I'm only going to give you a little bit of advice. One, always look her in the eye. And two, don't ever lie to her. Because mm. if you have lied to her, you are never invited back to the office. And, and it worked. I mean, people knew, don't come in and tell me that this is what it's going to do, what your bill's going to say, and it doesn't. Um, don't tell me mm. we're going to save X amount of dollars when I know it's going to cost us much more. And there are several things that that are going on now. I, you know, I talk about lobbyists, and I don't mean to imply any of them are. Um, they're all respected in their own right. Mm-hmm. But a good lobbyist is always worth their weight in gold because they will give you both sides of the issue. They may be pushing one side, but if you ask them, what's the other side going to say about this? Mm-hmm. They'll tell you. Well, now we have the backdrop of Andrew Cuomo being a, a pig in office. <laughs> and uh, how about during your entire career in politics, were you discriminated against, harassed? Uh... I've told this story so many times, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to tell it again. But um, there, was, there was an older gentleman. I had to – actually, I was lieutenant governor at the time. And I went over to his office. He was in the legislative office building. We were in the Capitol. And, um, and uh, I picked up what I, I needed and had a conversation with him. And I had on a pretty blouse that had a V front, to which he looked at the V front and made a comment. And I said to him, and I'm not going to say his name, but I said to him, you know, I'm going to let you get away with that because, frankly, you're a dirty old man. <laughs> and he chuckled, and I did too. And I said, but I'm going to tell you something. In the future, if you ever talk to me like that again, I will haul off and slap you. But I won't be the only one because any woman that comes in contact with you will do the same thing. I'm, I'm telling you this story not because it was – I wasn't offended, offended – because he was a dirty old man, mm-hmm. but he thought it was funny. And many people at that time thought it was funny and, and let him right. get away with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also said my piece. And did it change anything? Maybe not. But it sure made me feel better to say, don't do it. Mm-hmm. I was never discriminated against as a woman to the best of my knowledge. I mean, were there secret deals going on over here and there? Probably, but nothing nothing that I couldn't handle. But you see it all the time. I cannot believe how many times people say things and they just, they don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you, what kind of crazy person says something like that? I have a friend who is a doctor his wife is absolutely beautiful. She works in his office. And she said to him, he's a very friendly guy. She said, don't ever put your hand on anybody's shoulder. Don't hug them. You know, I mean, the things that we have to say now. Mm-hmm. And he's the kind of person that wants you to know that he's a good doctor mm-hmm. and he feels comfortable um, hugging you and mm-hmm. making you feel better. And most of his patients are elderly, so it's not like it's, you know, not that that's an excuse, but it's not like he's, you know, coming on to them in mm-hmm. any way. But she's insistent, you know, be careful. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. And when I heard a teacher even say once, when I have a six-year-old crying and I can't hug him, mm-hmm. she said, we've gone too far. 
common sense has to dictate sometimes, you know? I Mm -hmm. mean, simple, simple things like a hug for a child that's Mm -hmm. upset, but you never know. You just don't. No, I agree with you. But at the same time, I think things, as I was thinking about talking with you today, things have changed over even the last decade, uh, the way the expectations for for instance, how men treat women are expected to treat women, and uh, the knowledge of what's right and wrong out there, too. I mean, I think it was always known what was right and wrong, but when you read about what Andrew Cuomo did, and part of his defense is, oh, you know, I'm just an old Italian guy, I didn't really know. That's not true. Mm-mm. He is 63. He knew <laughs> what he could get, what he was supposed to do and what he was not supposed to do. I would say the number one rule that men have to remember in this day and age is do not touch. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Don't touch a woman. Don't touch men even. I mean, you shake mm-hmm. hands. That's mm-hmm. what we do. But the, the rule of thumb is don't touch. Um, be careful what you say. You can say something. And, and again, I would even caution things like this. Mm. That dress looks beautiful on you. Mm-hmm. Not you look beautiful in that dress. Mm. That dress is beautiful on you. If someone takes offense to that, you know, maybe they would. But be careful in your compliments. Um, but again, I think the number one rule is don't touch. Mm-hmm. Don't touch. It can be misconstrued. And... Um, I frankly have to say the same thing goes for women. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to hug people and mm-hmm. I like to say hello, and um, but I don't do it anymore. No. Yeah. No, you can't, I don't think, in your position. No. Nope. Uh, the But you, sometimes you got to think, what is wrong with guys? Like some of the things, <laughs> you know, Cuomo said to his interns. I know. That's just. You uh, just don't do it. It's just like the man I told you about. Mm -hmm. Nobody, I I didn't tell you what he actually said to me. You got Mm -hmm. the picture, but Mm -hmm. you don't say things like that. And um, I think that the, the (laughs) I don't want to talk about Andrew Cuomo, but I mean, you're right. It just, you don't do that. Mm -hmm. And you don't put your arm around somebody, squeeze them tight, Mm -hmm. and then move your hands while you're squeezing them. And that's what he did. Right. (laughs) And you can't. It's not an old, uh, you know, you can't blame it on your ethnicity. <laughs> no. And, you know, uh, talk about Kathy Hochul for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what she's going through. I almost wanted to call her. Mm-hmm. and But I thought she's got a gazillion things on her plate right now. She doesn't need it. Um, do you remember the lieutenant governor in New York who took over for Spitzer? Spicer, oh, yes. Spitzer. Um, Patterson. Patterson, right. Patterson. And uh, he called me and mm. asked me to meet with him. He said, I want to talk to you about what's, uh, you know, what's the protocol here? It's a new thing. You know, what am I going to do? And I met with him. I went over to Albany. And, uh, you know, we had a nice conversation. But, I mean, he didn't stay. He didn't, right. you know. He but didn't run again. He didn't run again. But, you know, interesting that people, I don't think Kathy Hochul would ever need, she doesn't need advice, She's been a congresswoman. She's mm-hmm. been a lieutenant governor. She's quite talented, very smart, and she's already, you know, this is what I'm doing. I thought it interesting that the first three picks that she picked were women. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it depends on the woman, but if it's somebody you trust, mm-hmm. number one, and somebody that is competent and can do the job, by all means. I don't care if they're women or men, just get the right 
person for the job. Mm-hmm. And she's also been saying some of the things that you said at the beginning of your um, governorship, too. It'll be okay. Uh, we're going to um, make sure that, uh, in her case, the governor's office is a place where everybody is feels welcome, et cetera. And it's open government. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing you have to remember is in this day and age, um, anyone can FOI mm-hmm. your your files, your emails, or if anything like that. So freedom of information has been around for a number of years. And somehow a lot of people think, well, if I call on my personal phone, they don't have to have that information. Mm-hmm. If I use my personal computer to email someone about what's going on, this, the person who is going to FOI that information doesn't have access to that wrong. Hmm. People have to remember you are a public official. And I like Kathy Hochul for saying that. I am going to be public and this office will be open to the public. Mm -hmm. Uh, The information dealing with nursing homes and the COVID last year, uh, if you want those files, we will make them available, which really is a huge step considering mm-hmm. what has been going on there in the last year. So Absolutely. I I think that um, an open government and an open dialogue with the public is going to be very beneficial for the state. You know, somebody said of Rudy Giuliani when he was mayor just after 9, mayor of New York after 9-11, hey, sometimes it's good to have a megalomaniac in office because he took charge and he in that case, uh, at that time, said the right things, and everybody felt good that he was in charge, right? But they so often run into a wall where everything falls apart, too. Well, I think what you see in a case like that is that they are so self-absorbed in their own, um, I, I don't want to say popularity, it's not, but part popularity and also part um, stubbornness, it's part... Uh, egotistical. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm here to do the job and I'm going to do it this way and I don't care what you say. And then you're, just, da, 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 and you're moving forward. And all of a sudden there's that wall. I've done everything I said I was going to do. And now that wall is going to block me from, oh, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. And how do I handle it next? And people are, are standing back saying, like in Rudy Giuliani's case, gosh, he really took charge. He did this and he did that. And ev- well, there, after a couple of days of this or weeks or even months, there's no more need. And there's always a need. I didn't mean it that way. But there's mm-hmm. no need for that um, sporadic go get them, break down barriers mm-hmm. attitude. It's now more let's just move forward. What do we need to do now? What's the next, you know, business action that we have to handle? And, um, you know, I'm. I wish Kathy Hochul good because I, I I think she'll do very well mm-hmm. and I think she'll she's slow steady has her eye on the ball knows exactly what needs to be done and as you said can move keep moving forward these guys who are uh, uh, egomaniacs everybody starts to hate them after a pretty short <laughs> amount of time and they can't get as much done right no right. one wants to work with them right. I mean Cuomo was well having and that I, exactly and, and I. A lot of his, too, is, you know, once you start alienating people in your inner circle, Mm -hmm. then it's only a matter of time before they start talking to other people and other people are like, whoa, you know, I had a run in with her the other day about this and this. And, you know, all I asked for was this. Um, And it multiplies and Mm -hmm. it just it becomes 
more of a a problem than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Now, switching gears a little bit, when you talked about um, um, campaign finance reform, mm-hmm. and John McCain came to the state and campaigned in in favor of it with right. you, right? Yes. And then he ran for president, and you were on a mentioned, or it was reported that you were on a list. <laughs> As uh, vice presidential candidates, nobody ever told me about that list. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I never really. I, I'm sure that my name and many, many others uh, had been mentioned at one time. Let me tell you a funny story about John McCain. When he was here, he was actually here campaigning for one of the congressmen. Mm. At you know later, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I invited mm. him to come to the governor's residence and stay there. And he brought, well. Uh, my husband was a Navy pilot, mm-hmm. and, of course, John McCain was too. So when those two are sitting there talking airplanes, I'm sort of, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm just the governor. I mean, I'm nobody over here. But And my son was there. And um, when John McCain was getting ready for bed, uh, he said – I said to him, I said, oh, I have – I guess he said it first. He said, oh, I see my book is here. He said, let me sign it for you. And I said, thank you. Paul, I had no idea where the book came from or how it landed on the desk, but I thought he had brought it with him, right? So he writes, you know, to Jody Rell, you know, best wishes, John McCain. And he goes up to bed. My my son looks over at me. He said, Mom, I brought that book here. I wanted to give it to my father-in-law for for a gift. With John McCain's signature. And I said, honey, I said, I was thinking to myself, gosh, he's good. I never even saw him put the book on the desk. <laughs> and um, as it turned out, it was funny because um, the next day I, I told my chief of staff about what happened with the book. And she called his chief of staff and said, could we get one also made out to you know, this other name? So, but I had to laugh. I thought, gosh, he really was good. I never even saw him put the book on the desk. But very nice gentleman. Um, he, uh, you know, I, I often think that he could have been president. Uh, I think his choice in running may probably hurt him more than helped him. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of that, I, got, I want to back up a minute. When I first ran for governor, or lieutenant governor, um, I interviewed with John Rowland, and I knew John because he was our congressman, mm-hmm. and I was a legislator. And I can remember thinking to myself, you know, do I really want to do this job? But I had said it was either up or out, and I was even thinking of going back to school. I was thinking of becoming the leader in the House if I ran mm-hmm. for reelection. All of those things kind of cross your mind, and you think, okay, what is it that I really want to do? And when John Rowland asked me to meet him, we met for coffee one morning, and he said, I want to talk to you about people that I'm considering as a running mate. I said, okay. And I I honestly was not thinking of myself Mm -hmm. at the time. And I said, uh, okay, and he names his name. And I said, no, absolutely not. It was a woman, and Mm -hmm. I said, she giggles. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what? And I said, (laughs) she giggles. I said, you don't want a woman who giggles. It's not not becoming, and it belittles the position. And he said, I never thought about that. Then he mentioned another woman, and he said, "Um, you know, she's 
very popular. People know her. She's well-respected. And, you know, what do you think of her? And I said, she might be well-known and well-respected, but I don't think she's capable of the job. Hmm. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that she can handle um, the duties. In other words, I don't think she's smart enough. Oh. <laughs> and here's what he did. He started to chuckle. He said, yeah, you're probably right, but you know, I was just thinking that she's popular. So he mentions a few other names. And then finally, I guess I had said no to this and no to that and what have you. And finally he said, well, what about you? I said, that would be a great choice. <laughs> and I was joking. Yeah. I really was joking. <laughs> and um, sure enough, a couple weeks later, uh, I met him in Waterbury. And uh, uh, it, we met for lunch. And um, he holds up a glass of iced tea. And he said, well, here's to the next lieutenant governor, to which I literally turned around. <laughs> And he said, Jody, I said, okay. And um, that was it. Wow. Yeah. I've had an interesting time being in office. I, yeah, no yeah, kidding. I should write a book, right? You should. <laughs> well, you've kind of laid out the uh, guidebook for Kathy Hochul, I think. Be yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't try to be anything else. Don't try to be better than Andrew Cuomo. That's not going to be hard to do. Mm -hmm. But don't try to be better at everything. Be yourself. Um, Come, do what comes naturally. If you, it's always that gut instinct. Sometimes you think to yourself, what am I supposed to do in this situation? How am I supposed to, how do the, how does the public want me to respond on this? It's not the public, it's you. Mm -hmm. How are you going to respond? And and I'll give you another example. I hated going to funerals. Mm for fallen soldiers, hated it, because I took it personally. Mm-hmm. And when when I say personally, I have a son. And when I would go one particular funeral I went to, I cried the whole time. Mm-hmm. I stood up to give a small speech, and I cried. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. I apologized to the mother afterwards, and I said, I am so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to embarrass. She said, Jody, please. <laughs> You're normal. Mm -hmm. Be yourself. People will see through you if you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the other thing is remember that you do serve the public, and the public wants someone that is honest, respectful, and frankly open, that you don't have any secrets. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. do you have family issues you don't want to talk about? Do you have this? But again, if you're asked, answer the question. Don't, don't try to hide anything. And I think she'll do a very good job. Mm-hmm. How do you look back now? You've been out of office 10 years. How do you look back now and think about it? Well, there's always more you could have done, you wish you had done. Um, but I'm happy with the job that I did. I, you know, I try not to read all the comments. That, you know, sometimes you see something on Facebook or you mm-hmm. see something on, you know, whatever. And uh, I think recently I saw something where somebody said, oh, she's a nice lady, but, you know, what did she accomplish? Well, I could give you a list of all mm-hmm. of the accomplishments. Um, what am I proud of most? We saved the sub base. Mm-hmm. That was a big job, mm-hmm. trust me. Out in Groton when the, uh, there was a commission looking to close it. Right. And I will also say that Senator Dodd, uh, we're opposite parties, but he was a godsend. Mm. He helped us immensely. Um, it, it was 
those kinds of things, you know, do they, well, that got a lot of press because it was important in mm -hmm. Eastern Connecticut, but, you know, buying new rail cars, we hadn't bought rail cars in 30 years. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are spending bonding money to buy new rail cars. 300 of them, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't get a lot of play, but people that ride those rail cars mm -hmm. appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Campaign finance reform. And then there are things that you look back on and you think, how did I get through that special time or that scary time? Um, we had the first execution mm -hmm. under my watch. Um, Michael Roth mm -hmm. had killed seven young girls between the ages of 13 and 15, maybe it was 14 and 15. He wanted to die. He mm -hmm. had already exhausted many of his appeals. Uh, I did my research. I did, you know, people thought, well, the governor can halt that. In Connecticut, you can't. You go to the legislature hmm. and you say to the leaders, in this next legislative session, do you plan to take up the death penalty? And if they say yes, that gives you the opportunity to say, we will not do this execution. We'll wait and see what the legislature says. But when they told me no, they had no intention of taking it up, the execution went through. Um, I stayed up all night. I cried. Mm -hmm. I prayed. But at the same time, I don't have regrets. When you kill seven young mm. girls, yep. you try being a mother and a father, and you think to yourself, is there closure here? Maybe not. But he had given up, and by then he said, I'm done with all of the appeals. And we said, okay. Mm -hmm. But you've also, as you said, you started in the PTA, and you ended up as governor. So. <laughs> My friend Norma Guile, who mm -hmm. lives over in New Fairfield, Norma and I ran at the same time. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, I'm reading about you in the newspaper. She says, they're, you know, they're saying she's a PTA mom, she's a... Uh, president of the ladies auxiliary of the fire company and she's this and she's that and she said and I'm thinking oh my gosh I have nothing to offer I have nothing <laughs> and I laughed at her because I said the funny thing is is I was reading her profile here she is a registered nurse a mom she's been involved in you know you you listed all mm -hmm. of these important organizations and I'm thinking I have nothing to offer I'm just a local mom. I have nothing to <laughs> offer. And we laughed about that for years, about how we judged each other. Not judged, but, you know, we checked out each other. It was like, wow, she's so smart. And she'd look at my stuff and, wow, I don't have anything like she does. You bring different skills to the legislature. You bring different ideas. And I think that's what we both did um, and so many other people, you know, Connecticut still has a part-time legislature. Mm -hmm. Many people have other jobs, other occupations. Um, we have lots of lawyers. We have lots of nurses, mm -hmm. you know, not lots, but we have several nurses, a couple of teachers that are on sabbatical. Mm -hmm. We have, um, you name it, it's everybody. And they bring a lot to the table. I would hate to see us become a full-time legislature when your only job is to be up there making bills and laws. Mm-hmm. God help us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really been a pleasure to be able to talk to you about all those years and your thoughts on it and 
just to uh, be with you again. Thank you, Paul. It's always a pleasure to be here, too. And um, I've enjoyed it. I hope I've given you and our listeners uh, something to think about. And my advice to anyone that's paying attention out there, if you have any interest in public life, um, running for office, get involved. Get involved now. You don't have to declare your party affiliation. If you see a candidate that you want to work for, call them up and say, I'd like to help you on this campaign. Mm -hmm. What can I do? Um, We don't stuff envelopes the way we used to in the old days. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Everything is on email or whatever. But um, volunteer. You'd Mm -hmm. be surprised what you can do. Knocking on doors to help a candidate goes a long way in, in getting their name out there and name recognition in the end, is the most important thing when you're running for office because mm-hmm. they need to know who you are. Right, and then you can have an effect exactly. like you do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Pete, that was a pretty good interview, and it was timely and newsworthy, too. I don't think anybody else has interviewed the former governor about her situation and how it compares to the governor in New York. It's a scoop. It's an WCSU exclusive. Exactly. (laughs) We're very proud of that. And, of course, we're starting school here this week, too. That's the other big news. Classes start on Thursday, August 26th. Move-in is happening today. We had a little power outage on the west side today. I heard. That would have made things interesting. Oh, yeah. Everybody was pulling their hair out and stayed up all night dealing Uh. with it. Uh, But it's back to normal now, and students are able to move in. That's all good. And um, I think everybody's uh, used to the idea that we'll be wearing masks. If you're not vaccinated, you have to get an exemption and take the test up the nose every day uh, every week and report it and of course Pfizer got its final approval to be a non-emergency drug uh, for the vaccine so that takes away a lot of the concerns of some people also on campus for a long time our professors and staff like you and me Pete uh, had didn't were not under a mandate to be vaccinated although you and I did of course and now that's changed. The unions have agreed with the to uh, uh, mandate the vaccination. So oh, great. Yeah. So we're going to be a big vaccine zone here on campus in the middle of Danbury and uh, try to be very safe. We're almost up to that 80% vaccination threshold, which will help us release, relieve a lot of the rules and uh, make everybody feel safer, too. Great. Okay, this was a good way to kick off the semester with Governor Jody Rell. We'll be back next week with another edition of At WCSU with me, Paul Steinmetz, and him, Paul, uh, (laughs) and him, Pete Puccio. Yep. (laughs) At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Folby. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media and on the university's Facebook and Twitter pages. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.